Father, we just uh, thank you for the Sabbath. We thank you for the uh, opportunity just to come and gather as believers and just to sing your praises. But most importantly, we come to be strengthened in love. So as you have words for me to say, I, I pray that they are clear, that they are coherent, and that your word goes forth today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's see. Is this going to work? We'll make it work. We'll make it work. Happy Sabbath. How's it going? That's my friend, Shani Shan Shan. Hello. I've known her since, oh my, we won't get into that. We're, we're older. We're elder millennials, as they say, or geriatric millennials. Um, so, again, good morning. Um, happy Sabbath. Okay, thank you. I, mean, I just want to make sure I'm not speaking to these lovely young kids in front. Hey, happy Sabbath. They waved at me. That's cool. Um, happy Black History Month. Um, it is always a pleasure to speak to redeemed sons and daughters. Um, we've been redeemed, right? Just make that clear. We've been redeemed. So it's always a pleasure to speak to redeemed sons and daughters. Uh, quick shout out to Pastor Mark, Pastor Justin. They are away at the Becoming Retreat. Uh, so that's why it's a little bit thin. A lot of our youth, um, they are there with them. So it's about 100 plus so youth. So that's why we're a little bit thin today. But we want to send them our love. We want to send them our prayers. So it's exciting that they're away doing this. They do this every year at the Becoming Retreat. So if y'all could just give them a, a wave. They may watch this later to say, hi, youth. Okay, don't do it. Don't worry about it. I want to give another quick hello to my family. I think my sister's here somewhere. There she is. All right. Make sure you made it on time. All right. Uh, but my family, Cullen, Lola, my wife, my mom and dad, they're probably watching online. Um, and then I also want to give a quick shout out to some very, very important people in my life. So LRT crew, you guys are watching online. You guys are mostly in Hawaii. Jonathan, Tiffany, congratulations on your baby girl, Anna Clarissa. Um, and then my taco crew. So Jess, Ricardo, Jashira, and EJ. I have to give them a special shout out for this main reason. I lost my sister about five days before Christmas. And these people journeyed with me. Like that is what a church does. A church journeys with you, not only your successes and your, your highs, but they journey with you in your lows. And these people showed the love of Christ every day, calling, texting, taking us out to eat. So I have to say hello to them because it is so important that I acknowledge them in front of everyone so they know how much I love them. All right? So please acknowledge the people who are in your life. Give them a text. Give them a call. Don't, don't not text. Don't not call. Um, I really do want to be incredibly transparent, tra just, just super transparent while I'm up here. I had a very genuine conversation with Pastor Mark and Pastor Juan, Pastor Justin, and we openly discussed black history here at Warehouse and how we could honor the legacy of black Americans, black culture, celebrate black contributions, but definitely show Christ at the center of everything. Um, they heard my heart. I heard theirs. It was a very tough conversation. But as a body of believers, we don't shy away from tough conversations. In fact, we go in and engage in tough conversations because the thing that actually unites us 
is not our, our, our differences, it's actually one thing, which is Christ. Christ is the thing that unites us. He, above all, is what unites us. And so, as they heard my heart, and we had a really great dialogue, um, I wanted to be clear why I'm up here, because they felt it was important that we didn't miss this moment. We didn't miss Black history. And I pressured them on it, and they heard me. And I, I, and I really do appreciate that. So engage in those tough conversations. Engage in that dialogue. Don't shy away from it. Because what's happening in our country, and I don't want to get political, but what's happening is we've become more politicized and, and more polarized that we don't even talk to each other and we say that we're Christians. So don't let your political differences stop you from seeing the Christ in someone. Don't let your different ideas, don't let that stop you from seeing the Christ in someone. So I want to thank them for listening to me, and I heard them, and they heard me. Um, I want to get into this subject about being no longer slaves. That we are no longer slaves. And I hopefully get through a point that I want to nail at the end. But I want to start by telling you the story of an American hero, of Harriet Ross, I mean Harriet Tubman. So let's pray one more time and let's just let's dive right into it. So Father, thank you again. Jesus, <laughs> thank you. Thank you again. Holy Spirit, let my words be clear. Let my, my thoughts be clear. And let everything that you've placed on my heart be mentioned today. In Jesus' name, amen. Harriet Tubman, whose real name was Araminta Ross, was born into slavery in Dor Dorchester County, Maryland. Most historians believe around 1822. She was the fifth of nine children born to Ben Ross and Harriet Green. Her parents were actually owned by two separate slave owners, Anthony Thompson and Mary Pattinson Brodus. So Thompson married Brodus, and he became the guardian of her son, Edward. Later, uh, Mary would die, and her son, Edward Brodus, would eventually grow up and inherit his mother's slaves. Around 1824, Edward would, Edward would later split up the family by moving away from his guardian and taking the children that was born to the mother, Harriet Green, taking them with him. Uh, and again, any child that's born to the enslaved mother immediately became the property of that owner. You following with me? So anybody that's born to the mom became the, the, the property of the owner. As an enslaved worker, her master would often rent Harriet out to other slave owners. These masters were not kind people in her words. She, she recounts being whipped so severe by a mistress that she still had the scars on her body, even as an elderly woman. One story was that she was supposed to watch the child of a mistress, and if the child would cry, she would just be beaten for it. Like, that's, that's so wild, but that's, that's what she lived through. Uh, another occasion of her being rented out Slave owners would actually, because she was a small child, slave owners would have her set muskrat traps in the winter. And she would be out in the cold, sitting, setting up these traps. And because she was out in the cold, she would often be sick as a child. And her, her masters that rented her out would say, she's useless. She's no good to us. So her master would take her back and give it to her mother to nurse her and to heal her. And the moment she gained an ounce of strength, her master would immediately go and rent her back out again because time was money. Uh, Harry would say this, that next to slavery, 
Next, sorry, slavery is the next thing to hell. Brodus, he didn't have a large farm, so he didn't have much work for all of the family. He eventually sold Harriet's three sisters to some buyers down south, and that permanently fractured her family. So this moment, a lot of historians believe, made like an impression on Harriet that all of her decisions making going forward, kind of this was the moment, like everything about her life, this was like a catalyzing moment. Around 1834, Harriet being around 12 or so, she was nearly killed. Oh, you hear my Memphis come out? Killed. Okay. She was nearly killed. Killed. The story goes like this. While she was being rented out as a field hand, uh, she was running an errand to the dry goods store. And on the way, at the same time, it just so happened to be another enslaved little boy who was escaping his overseer. And Harriet, seeing this, actually blocks the path of the overseer to the dry goods store because a little boy runs into the store. Harriet blocks his path. The overseer, being so enraged, grabs this iron weight and hurls it, intending to hit the little boy, but actually strikes Harriet in the head, causing such a severe blow that fragments of her head wrap, her head, her head shawl was still in her head. So Harriet, from that time forth, would suffer what a lot of historians would believe to be seizures and or narcolepsy. She would just fall asleep. However, what the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. Because Harriet actually counts this moment as when she received God. She actually would have visions and dreams later in her life where she was escaping to freedom to the north. And these dreams would actually tell her which way to go. Just kind of like, hey, avoid this path. Kind of sounds if y'all know about LNG White. Anyway, but it would actually instruct her on how to avoid danger and how to stay free and how to not get caught. So, so Harriet used what happened to her as a negative and used it for good. Around 1844, she married John Tubman, a free man. However, because he married an enslaved woman, he actually had no legal right to her. So when her owner, Edward Brodus, eventually died, this threatened their relationship and threatened her actually being sold to another buyer. Now, I don't know if this story actually is in chronological order, but um, around this time, there's a story that Harriet decided to escape to, to the north with her brothers. And they left the farm at night. And somewhere along the journey, they decided to turn back. Now, Harriet did not want to go back. She was like, no, I'm out. But her brothers were like, no, it's better for us to endure the wrath of our slave master than being caught in the open. So they forced their sister to go back into slavery. Harriet would later to go on and say this. There's one of two things that I have the right to. Liberty or death. If I could not have one, I would have the other. I've pondered over that particular story and others like it because um, 
I, I, I don't know what it's like to be a slave and the horrors that they've endured, but I can imagine with presented with the opportunity for freedom, you would want to take it. And I thought about the journey, like could the journey have been too long? Could have been too dangerous? Was it the fact that if you leave, you could be leaving loved ones behind and never see them again? I, I, I think about that, and I thought about that. Harriet actually only freed around 70 people through the Underground Railroad. Isn't that amazing, but also sad? Like she only freed just by her own volition. She only freed around 70 people. Now, there's some other stories where she actually freed more with the Union Army, but by herself, she only freed 70 people. Harriet says this, if I could have convinced more slaves that they were slaves, I could have freed thousands more. Put a pin in that. How many of you watched The Chosen? That is my show. I love it. All right. All right. Especially this scene right here. It's uh, season three, episode three. If you've watched that scene, like the tension in your body watching it, it's so like so real. Um, in, in, in the scene, just to kind of unpack it for you, Jesus is in his hometown and he is presented the scroll of Isaiah and he picks it up and he begins to read from it. And he actually declares something about himself that ruffles the feathers of the individuals in his hometown and the leaders. It's just, it's an incredible scene. And we're watching it like, <gasps> like I've not read it in the Bible already. Like I, I've read it. Like I'm, <gasps> right? But I want y'all to read it with me. Let's just unpack that scene a little bit, and then let's just, let's dive into this together as a community. So Luke chapter 4, verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed to, pro to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Question. Why did Jesus say he needed to set the captives free? What were they captive to? Or rather, what were they slaves to? That's for y'all. Like the, here, here's a hint. It rhymes with fin. It rhymes with the word kin. It rhymes with the word tin. If you put an S at the front of it, it would be. All right. Y'all with me. Y'all, that boy good. All right. I want y'all to notice something about sin. Like, this, this is important. I want you to notice something about sin. Because we often attribute sin to our own shortcomings and mistakes, that there is something to be said about that, but we often miss how sin actually came in. Right? We, we miss this. Like, we know it inherently, but we, we miss this. Like, it wasn't the fact that you were watching WWW, I shouldn't be watching this. 
Publix.com. It wasn't the fact that you cussed out the lady at Publix because she stole your parking spot. It wasn't because you actually saw the price of eggs and you're like, what in the world? Like, that's not where sin actually is localized. That's, that's not where sin is. If you recall back to the story about Harriet, she was born to an enslaved mother, thus making her a slave. Does it make sense? Enslaved mother, born a slave. I want, to know, I want you all to notice how humanity got enslaved. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. Did y'all see it? Did y'all catch it? You sinned because you were born a slave to sin, and you simply did what slaves do. And this is not your fault. And I'm not making light of sin in your life. I'm not making light of it at all, and I'm not excusing it at all. But again, it's not your fault. You simply did what slaves do. Sin entering the world, it's not your fault, but it does affect you. It does whip you. It does beat you. It does leave you with scars and mental anguish. It does give you a life of anxiety, fear, worry, and depression that was never, ever intended for you. But we accept it as our own and that we believe that it's ours. Forgetting the fact that it was actually one person who actually brought it in. And I want to make that distinguish. I want to just make that clear that you are bearing the mark of someone else. But it is still yours. It's wild. Let's keep going. You had nothing to do with sin. It does affect you. It is everywhere. But there's a problem with sin that it actually brought something else with it. And this is what it brought in. I know I look good. All right. I'm 41 next week. I appreciate good genes. I'm like, thank you, mom and dad. I appreciate that. But I turn 41 next week. And in me turning 41, there is a celebration that I'll do about my life. But there's also something else that I am a participant. My My hair is getting gray. There's actually thinning in one spot. My knees a little bit creaky. I need stronger eyeglass prescriptions. I am actually a participant in death. The older that I get just simply means that I am marching towards death. And it's actually what the scripture says. Y'all want to read it one more time? Go back to Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. You see it? Sin, death. Adam ate, he sinned, everybody else 
fell into slavery, and then what comes with it is death. Isn't that messed up? Like, Adam, I appreciate everything that you did. You know, you were the father of the human race, and you just, you know, you were probably a good gardener. But man, did you have to eat that for that one? So just like Harriet, no fault of your own, once you were born, you were immediately enslaved, sold under sin, and while Harriet escaped and gained her freedom, the one thing she, nor you, nor I can escape is death. So we got a problem. We have a conundrum. Something that we cannot actually do for ourselves and do on our own is actually escape All right, cool. Just make sure y'all still awake. So, back to Jesus. He declares that he has come to set the captives free. And we've already established that he came to set the captives free from uh, sin. All right, there we go. All right. He's declaring war on the enemy for the right to liberate humanity. He has no interest in renting us out. He wants us to be his people. He, has the, he is doing the will of the Father, and the Father is saying, go liberate my children. And what's so incredibly dope, like, God don't, like, do anything half. Like, he is so strategic. Like, even the name of Jesus means something. Like, right? Did y'all know that? Like, the name of Jesus actually means something. You'll see it in Matthew 121. Let's put that up on the screen real quick. This is, this is incredible. Like, read this with me. Let's read it actually all together. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their... Like, the plan of salvation is so thorough that even the name actually holds weight, right? So if you're picking up what the scriptures are trying to lay down, the scriptures are trying to lay down this point. It has to solve death, but in order to solve death, it first has to solve sin. And in order to solve sin, you need somebody who can actually solve it. The issue is death. The problem is sin and you need a solution. Death, sin, solution. Back to Jesus. We, we've been in enough Sabbath school, enough creator role. Hopefully, if you've gone to Sunday school or Sabbath school, you've been enough. You've kind of figured this point out. How will Jesus solve the problem? Well, he will die on the, for our, great. You know that. We don't need to hammer that part out. But if you're like me, I have this problem of figuring out when that would take effect. Right? When would that actually take, when would the cross actually work? When will it work? Like, I had this idea that the cross actually did work and it did something for me, but it's not until he returned. Thus, in my thinking, if I were to really be candid, it meant that Jesus died on a cross for me to still be a slave. That does not compute. 
You cannot be a slave and free at the same time. It doesn't work that way. I promise you it doesn't. In fact, the scripture says it like this. No man can serve two masters. He will love one or hate the other. That is a scripture. So in my whack thinking, I'm thinking that I'm still going to be a slave until Jesus comes. And so I'm living a slave life, doing what slaves do, merely because I haven't had right thinking. I really did not understand the purpose of the cross. And the purpose of the cross was to actually liberate me from the life of, of, of sin as a slave. So that way I would not be marching towards A death problem first had to be solved by the sin problem. And the person who can only solve the sin problem is the one who actually died for our sins. So I missed something. I don't know if you did. I, I'm, I'm gaining the fact that you guys are way more intelligent than I am. It took me about 37 years to actually get that concept. But I actually encounter a lot of Christians that I love dearly that I journey with, that actually still believe that they are still enslaved. That they serve another master, all the while loving one other. The Bible actually calls that adultery. That's Romans chapter 7. We won't get there. You may say, well, Mr. Murphy, I, I hear what you're saying, but I don't feel free. I don't, I don't feel it. And I'll say to you, my friends, we don't live by our feelings. While they are good indicators, they are terrible dictators. As believers, we submit our feelings to truth. And truth is not a concept. Truth is a person. How I know that is because he actually declared that he was a person. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the... No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. So if truth is a person, then I have to believe that truth actually does something. And the Bible literally says this. The truth will set you free. I'm, I'm telling you, this scripture is, I mean, the scriptures are wild. It's, it's real wild. So we're going to read some more of it. Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? I'm going to say it like my 11-year-old my son says it. Oh, heck no. <laughs> yeah, it says by no means. But that's his new phrase. He's like, oh, heck no. He's coming into his own. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk, might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be. Y'all see it? 
The purpose of the cross was for you to no longer be enslaved to sin. So that way, when you eventually die on this life, you're not really dead. You're just taking a nap. We don't die, die. We just we get old and we, we go to sleep. But death has no claim on us. Why? Because the process of death has actually been interrupted. Right? Do, do you see it? Imagine 12-year-old Harriet blocking the path of, of this overseer to, to stop him from getting to this little boy. All right? That's literally Jesus blocking, blocking death. The only thing the enemy has left is to just to throw this violent iron weight at us of lies. And when it hits us in the head, is it a moment where God comes forth? Or do you actually internalize it and believe the lie? I'm going to make this maybe a little bit more clear because I see some faces like, oh, no, what are you saying? Okay. Oftentimes in my life, I did not attribute Christ's death as mine. I know that he died for my sins, but I didn't believe for a long time that his death was actually my death. I didn't understand that. So I was like, man, Holy Spirit, how could I make that clear and make it plain? If my wife won the lottery and she became a millionaire, by default, I too become a millionaire, right? What's hers is mine, what's mine is hers, right? He said, nope, right? Because you know, you know what we say, right? He's like, what's mine is hers and what's hers is hers. We say that. But unfortunately, that's not quite right. Because in a healthy relationship, in a healthy marriage, she has complete and full access to me, and I have full and complete access to her. That's in a healthy relationship and in a healthy marriage. She has all of me, and I have all of her. So if we are the bride of Christ, and we are in a healthy relationship with Christ, then we should have full and complete access to whatever he has. Make sense? So what we received through his death, don't have time to parse it out, but if you read Romans chapter 5, it is incredible. We receive the free gift of grace. We receive righteousness. We receive obedience. All of these things because we have access to our Lord Jesus Christ. And everything he has is actually ours right now. Because what sort of spouse would be like, nah, I'm going to give it to you later. That ain't love. That's conditions. What good thing would I withhold from my wife? This is Hebrews chapter 9. This is actually one of my favorite passages in the scripture of all time. Like, when I read this, I literally leapt for joy. Like, imagine a six foot one, 200 pound black man. Like, just imagine that, because I hope that same thing resonates in your spirit. Just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment, so also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. Y'all read this part. Y'all read this. 
He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to those. Jesus ain't coming back to deal with sins, y'all. Why? He's already dealt with it. That makes sense? He dealt with it in order for you to not be subject to a lifelong of slavery. I'm, I'm, I'm making that point. I'm making that point because if we don't believe that we're free now, then we truly are missing the power of God. And then we need to stop singing songs like our God is greater. We need to actually start singing some other watered down songs and not really lift up the powerful name of Jesus like it really should. Like, no. I think it's Romans chapter three where it says, the, God, the power of salvation is in the gospel. And you know what the gospel is? It is good news. And it is heralding good news that there was a person who actually took our sin, bore our sin, took it into the grave, left it there, rose to new life, and everything that he has, he freely gives to us. So that the process of death is interrupted. So when we get to look at death, we don't have to fear it. That is the good news. Christ has dealt with our sin. And when he returns, he won't be dealing with sin again. So my question to us as believers, why are we still dealing with sin? Is sin not defeated? Well, you may say we still live in a sinful world. And you're right. Turn on the evening news or turn on any clip on YouTube. You will see sin everywhere. But we are in this world, but not of this world. We're aliens, if you will. Remember, remember this, remember this point, this point hits. Whoever you are born to determines your freedom. Whoever you are born to, like, I almost want to be like Mike Tide. Write that down, right? Whoever you are born to determines your freedom. Which is why Jesus literally said, you must be born. You must be born again. Christ invites us into this new life, a resurrected life. But before there can be a resurrection, there has to be a death. And the death that Christ invites us to is his death. So the life that you were never intended to live, he frees you from. You were never intended to be a slave. You were always meant to be a righteous son and daughter. That's, that was his intent from the very beginning, from the foundations of the world. Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God of our fathers who blesses us with every spiritual blessing and seated us in heavenly places. Like Ephesians. Read that mug. It is so good. It tells you the intent before humanity was actually even born. If you hear my last sermon, if you hear my last sermon, I actually was like, yo, do you remember God's idea for humanity? It's for humanity to have every spiritual blessing. Like the God of this universe had this wonky idea to be like, I'm going to make humanity. And before he actually makes it, he thinks about it. And as he thinks about it, he wants to give them everything that he has through Christ Jesus. And so before he says, let there be light, his first idea was, I'm going to give humanity every spiritual blessing. It's in Ephesians chapter one. It's, it's so beautiful. 
Somewhere along the way, we've personalized our slavery to something that we are versus something that happened to us. Which is why language matters so much. A slave is who you are. Enslaved is something that happened to you. We were enslaved to sin. Not because we simply were out there doing wickedness. It's because we were born under somebody who actually made us fall. I want to go back to the story of Harriet and her brothers. If you remember in the the story, Harriet and her brothers decided to escape. And her brothers decided to turn back. I don't know what it's like to be a a slave. I don't know what horrors they endured, what mental anguish, what sort of trauma. I I don't know. So I can't judge their decision to go back. I can't judge the, the decisions of those who decided not to go with Harriet. But I try to put myself in their shoes. And I try to think of why they ultimately decided to go back. Could be loved ones. It could be the fear of getting caught. But ultimately, I landed on this this, this point. I landed here. That the fear of death was likely why they returned, right? The fear of death. And so as the Holy Spirit was giving me this this sermon like a few weeks ago, I didn't even know that it was going to be preached for this time. I just knew that he had placed this on my heart. I knew that this was going to be a future message. Um, It just so happened that the Holy Spirit was like, nah, it's time. I was like, okay, cool. So I've had this on my mind for several weeks. And the fear of death was likely why they returned. And Holy Spirit was like, there's a lot of similarities with the body of Christ in this story. So as I was thinking through it, the fear of death for so long kept me enslaved. And when I thought about it and I was like, wow, that is so jacked up that me fearing dying actually kept me from moving in freedom. Because if you remember the chain, it was sin and death. So I would be so afraid of, of death that I couldn't see that the death of Jesus that he was inviting me to had more liberating power than me trying to work out my own salvation. But this is where we don't have just an external savior. Like we just don't have a savior that like just came down from heaven and was like, 
y'all are free. Right? We just, that, that's not the actual story of the scriptures. I'm going to read this last verse to y'all. Because I want you to see the heart of the Father through Jesus Christ. So that you know you are free. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. Let's read this last line together. And deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong. You see it? All of us who were fearful of death and subject to death for a life long of slavery, he interrupts that process, but not by being an external savior, but being one who actually shared in flesh and blood like, like us, so that we, when we were beaten, he was like, yeah, I was beaten too. When we suffer mental anguish, he was like, yeah, I suffered that too. When we're laying up in our bed at night crying because our marriage is actually on the rocks or our loved ones are not responding to what we're putting out, he's like, yeah, my disciples left me. Everything that we have experienced, he's like, you know what? I'm not just an external savior. I'm one that's like you. And I want y'all to be free. And I don't want you to fear death. Because I actually died and I came back to life. So I don't have a challenge. I, that's, I was thinking, Lord, how do I end this sermon? I, I don't have a challenge. All I have was, was what the gospel said and it's truth. And the only thing that I can present to you right now in this moment as you ponder over your life, maybe over the last 24 hours, maybe over the last seven days, whatever it is, as you think about your life, know that there was a price that was paid for you to be free right now. Not when he returns, but right now. And in that freedom that he's invited us to, we get to live a life that is pleasing unto him and we get to live a life of peace. Now don't mistake what I'm saying. We still will suffer in this life, but peace isn't like just external. It's actually internal. So that when your marriage possibly falls apart or maybe your children says, I hate you, or maybe the job fails you, or maybe all the things that happens externally to you, you still have peace. Why? Because you actually have him. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you. So, Father, I thank you for your plan of salvation. Because your plan was so thorough and so detailed that it left nothing unchecked. That when death try to have claim on us now, it can't. 
because the process of death has been interrupted through Jesus. So when we die in this life, we simply sleep. And we just wait your word to say, wake up. But we don't have to fear death because it has no claim on us. So Jesus, I thank you for freedom. I thank you that your name literally means you will save us from our sins. And I thank you that you have the marks in your body to prove that you actually did. And even if we don't believe it right now, you believe it. You believe that your sacrifice is enough. You believe it so wholeheartedly that once you got up out the grave, you were like, you know what? I got to go to my father and show him what I did. So let us believe you versus our own life. I thank you for everyone that's here. I thank you for the families that's represented. I pray a blessing over them today. I pray a blessing over their lives. In whatever situation that they are going to, going through, that you will speak into them that they are sons and that they are daughters and that their identity has always been free because you see them that way. I thank you for all of these things in Christ Jesus' name.